Amen. And welcome to the hills. Preacher Rick here, and you just need to know I am in a very good mood for two reasons. Number one, I have really enjoyed the cooler weather and the rain this last week. Can we thank God for that? We asked God to send cooler weather. We prayed for it, so keep praying. And the other reason I am in a good mood, well, let's just admit it, the Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl. Did you see what they did to the Giants last Sunday? Now, I know I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I know that most likely they're going to crush my heart like they always do. But at least today, the Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl. Now, I don't pray about the Cowboys or sports outcomes. I do pray about the weather. Because I believe in only asking God to do things he actually cares about. That's why I, and that's why we, ask God for nations and generations. So if you are a guest online or at any of our campuses at North Richard Hills, West Fort Worth, or Keller, you picked a great day to be with us. Because today and next Sunday, you are going to understand the heartbeat of our church, what we care about, what we are trying to do in Jesus' name. You hear us use the words mission and vision a lot at our church. Let me illustrate why. You may have heard of the young man that entered a real estate course at a major university, and the first day the professor said, young man, why did you sign up for this course? He said, I have always dreamed of making $100 million in the real estate industry like my father. And the professor asked God, why? He said, your father has made $100 million in real estate? The boy said, no, he's just always dreamed about it. And that sadly depicts many churches. They have great wishes, but they don't have a scheme to go along with their dream. Or to use our language, they don't have a vision. You see, we don't use mission and vision interchangeably. Mission is unchangeable. Mission is non-negotiable. Mission was defined by Jesus. Any church, no matter their tradition, no matter their size, no matter their context, should have the same mission to go and make followers of Jesus. But vision is the unique way a church is going to pursue that mission. In their context, with their resources and their opportunities. And it's also how they're going to measure their effectiveness in that pursuit. So for two weeks, we're going to re-examine and recommit to some very specific goals we think God has given us regarding the way we are going to try to make and grow followers of Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about generations. But today, I want to recast our vision as a church for the nations. And we'll get to our goals in a moment, but I want to stop and take about five minutes and theologically ground our emphasis on asking God for nations. Because God is a God of the nations. His redemptive plan has always focused on the nations. And when sin entered God's creation and polluted everything, God did not throw up his hands and say, well, that was a great idea, but now it's over. God immediately initiated a plan to accomplish his purpose. 
And it started with choosing a man named Abraham. And here's what God said about him. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Now, when you read the word nations in the Bible, don't think a landmass with a specific boundary or border. Think people groups. The Greek word nations is literally ethna, where we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. And so what God is saying here is that through Abraham, every ethnic group on earth has potential to be blessed. And you see God's heart for this in both testaments. The Holy Spirit inspired David in one of his songs to write this lyric, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name. Please notice this is the Old Testament. In other words, this has always been God's heart. And this means, unlike some think, Israel was not or has never been God's favorite nation. Israel was God's chosen nation through whom he was going to bring one, a Messiah, that would bless all the nations. Isaiah prophesied about this in chapter 66. I'm about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. So Jesus was God's agent of redemption for all the people groups on the earth. As soon as he is born, you see people from other nations showing up to worship him. Jesus' coming and Jesus' mission was God keeping the promise he made to Abraham. I am going to bless all the nations. Matthew, in his gospel account of Jesus' life, pulls a verse from the Old Testament about him. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Now, one reason this is important is because in our culture in the West, We individualize everything. Nothing is more important than the individual. And what can happen, maybe we don't mean it to, but what can happen is we can begin to preach a gospel that gets reduced. It just focuses on individuals and forgiveness of their sins, which the gospel does. But the gospel's aim is so much bigger. That Jesus came for a vision so much greater. In fact, I'd put it this way. The gospel's aim is to give God the global multi-ethnic family he wants. The good news is not that Jesus came to give you the life you've always wanted. The good news is that Jesus came to give God the world he has always wanted. And that's why Jesus commissioned his disciples to pursue this mission, says to them in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of every ethnic group on the earth. God wants the kingdom to include all the peoples. And so they did. And by the way, you should be glad they did. Because I don't think I am probably speaking to very many people who say your ethnicity 
is Jewish. You are listening to me right now because those first disciples obeyed Jesus. And they went and preached the gospel to different ethnic groups like the one you are a part of. And your being in Christ means your inclusion into this redeemed, multicolored, multi-ethnic family that God has always wanted. You see, God has a scheme for his dream. And by the way, God is going to get what God wants. And so in Revelation, John has a vision of what the future will be. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so, what drives our vision is our intention to give our neighbor a preview of coming attractions. We pray like Jesus taught us, your will be done. Your kingdom come to earth like it is in heaven. We want to be a church that shows the world that God is going to get what it wants. And that the earth is going to look like heaven. And so we ask for the nations. Now, this vision was launched in January of 2022. It's a five-year vision. We're in the second year. And we believe God, after much prayer, gave us seven clear goals for this vision for nations. So I want to update you in year two of where we are. Here's goal number one. That in five years, we want to see 1,825 people surrender to Christ and be baptized. We wanted to lead with a goal that is absolutely mission-centric. When Jesus said, go to every nation and make disciples, the very next thing he said was, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not the destination of discipleship, but it is the launching pad. Why 1825? Because that would be one person a day. We're asking God that one person a day for five years would surrender to Christ and be baptized. Where are we to date? This is as of last Sunday, we've seen 566 baptisms through 618 days. Can we celebrate that? And by the way, that number is larger because some people were baptized this past week. And just a reminder, on October 8th, we're going to have Baptism Sunday. And I'm talking to people right now online and at every campus. And this is your next step. This is what you need to do. You need to call your family and call your friends and say, I want you to be there that day. I'm going public with my allegiance to Jesus. Come and see me get baptized. So we're excited about, and we believe we're going to reach this goal. Goal number two, we want to become a multi-ethnic church. You've heard me preach about this a lot. There is simply no biblical justification for a mono-ethnic church. This was never God's plan. The Apostle Paul never planted a mono-ethnic church. And so we want to be multi-ethnic. And this is not just a matter of obedience. For us, it's a matter of expedience. Because we live in a stunningly diverse county. Did you know in Tarrant County, no one single ethnicity is in a majority. No single ethnicity 
in Tarrant County is over 50% of the total population. Now, a multi-ethnic church is defined as a church where no ethnicity is more than 80% of the total population of the church. Why do sociologists pick that number? I'm told it's because at that point, there's a tipping point, and you have to interact. When any organization's membership becomes at least 20% or more, then the organization has to work together to accomplish their goals. But I want to be clear about something. Our goal is not just to hit some arbitrary number. Here's the goal. It is to be a church that welcomes and looks like the mission field where God has planted us. This should be the goal of any church anywhere in the world. We are on mission. Church exists for a mission. So the church should always want to look like the mission field where it is. So where are we as a church? You remember in August, we did our nation survey. Any diagnostic tool is flawed. I acknowledge that. It's the best we can do. And here's what we learned. We had thousands of responses. And to date, it looks like we are as a church across three campuses, 81% white, 19% people of other ethnicities. So we've almost to that standard that is considered to be multi-ethnic. This was interesting. Of the 19%, there were three uh, people groups uh, that were the largest. By far the largest, besides white in our church, are those who identify as Hispanic or Latino. More than double any other group. The second largest group identified as multiracial. And the third group identified as black. And this includes African American and people who identify as African immigrant. Which, by the way, raised a very other interesting thing we learned about our survey. Right now at our church, we have members born in 42 different nations speaking 27 different languages. So... Jesus said, go to the nations, but God is bringing the nations to us. We're currently diverse at every level of leadership in our church, eldership and ministry team. We want our church to look like our city. We want our leadership to look like our church. And one more thing I found interesting. I asked for the results or the data over and under 40. Under 40, currently the Hills Church is just 74% white and 26% other ethnicities. This reflects where our country is going. And let me just be clear. The next generation lives and embraces a multi-ethnic world. And churches that are going to reach future generations had better be churches that embrace all the nations in their community. And so, I think we are well on the way to that goal. Goal number three. We want to be a church of at least five campuses. Currently, we're in Keller, West Fort Worth, and North Richland Hills. So, you'll call last summer. We announced that we have hired Ryan Young to come back. Uh, and he is going to lead our work for our next campus that is going to be in Dallas. We're past the point of having interest in Dallas. Now, we're to the point of asking people, are you in? In fact, tomorrow night... We're having another worship night in Dallas at Central Commons. You can tell your friends about it. The plan is to launch campus number four in Dallas sometime in the first half of 2024. And so, please bathe this work in prayer, and please help us get the word 
out. Goal number four. We want to engage members as advocates for 25 asylum-seeking families or individuals in our community. What do I mean by asylum seeker? This is a person or family who has been welcomed into our country by our government because they are threatened in their current country because of their race or their politics or their religion. And acclimating to a new country, especially when you can't get a work visa for a couple of years, is really difficult. And so we're partnering with a Christ-centered organization called DASH to help these people. Our goal is 25 to date. In just two years, we've served 20 asylum-seeking families as advocates. And by the way, DASH loves us. They love us because 22% of all of their volunteers come from our church, and 42% of all of their advocates come from our church. In fact, DASH has been bold enough to ask us to increase our goal. Instead of 25, they want us to go higher because in 2024, they have a need for four families, for three men, and for two women who need advocates. By the way, this has been a wonderful way for community groups and rooted groups to engage our mission. So if you're interested, on September 28th, there's a Stand With Dash dinner at the Heritage Church of Christ in Keller. You might want to check that out. Goal number five. We want to help launch and support 15 new multi-ethnic church plants. In other words, three a year, four, five years. This is maybe the goal I am personally the most invested in. And church, this past Sunday, September 10th, the three churches we are supporting this year to get started all had their launch date. Counterculture Church started in Portland with Jesse and Becca. Let's go. They had 144 people come their very first Sunday. In Ojai, California, Refuge Church got started with Kyle and Joy Costello. They had 263 people come their very first Sunday. And then the Rood Church started in Tampa, Florida with uh, Isaac and Vanessa Pettifree. They had 289 people come their very first Sunday. Can we celebrate this? This is awesome. We've already picked two of the three church funding efforts we want to support next year in Denver, Colorado, and in Brunswick, Maine. But more good news. The goal was three a year. We support our church plans through our harvest offering every November. The last two years, you were so generous, we had this overage that we got to use. And each year, we added a church plan. And so while we're supposed to be at six after two years, the to date... In our first two years of our vision, we've actually helped plant eight new churches. And by the way, one thing that's very cool is a lot of the churches we're planting, we want them to have our DNA, and they do. And they're entering into church planting. I was at Trace Church in Colorado Springs, seven years old, just last Sunday. There are already over 1,000 people. They're joining us in helping to start the church in Tampa. So we're planting churches that are getting old enough to help us plant more churches. And I think that's kind of cool. Goal number six. We want to support the Livingstone International University community through prayer and by sending 20 members to teach, equip, and encourage. So a little backstory if you're new to our church. In our first vision, we had this audacious bold dream to start a Christian liberal arts university in East Africa. We bought land in Mbali, Uganda and helped start El 
I-U. And it's been a tremendous start. We've seen 395 students from nine nations graduate with college degrees. We want to raise the next generation of leaders in East Africa. But I'll be candid. The pandemic really was devastating to LIU. They did not have the resources to pivot like many schools in America and just go online. And so for two years, they could not have on-campus students. They're back now. Last year was their first year back. This year, they've got 275 students, and they're up 15% from the year before. So we're hopeful that God is going to give LIU a rebirth. We want to send 20 people in five years to bless this school. We couldn't the first year because of the pandemic. But this year, we've sent five members of our church to encourage and equip students and faculty at LIU. In fact, just recently, one of our elders, Hector Hinojosa, and a group of men went to, uh, and they got the opportunity to visit and bless the people at LIU. You see Hector is meeting with the president of the school, and the guys are meeting and praying with some of the faculty of the school. And maybe this is what God is going to put on your heart as the way you can engage our vision. And I know most of you won't go, but all of you can pray for this God-given dream. And then finally, our seventh goal is to reach the unreached by launching and supporting five church planning movements and by supporting Bible translation efforts in five new languages. Now, we're going to continue our mission works all over the world, but for the five years of this vision, we're going to particularly focus on people defined as unreached, where there is hardly any noticeable presence of the church. And there is a reason they're unreached. They're almost all in nations that are hostile to Christianity. And this is what we feel called by God to do. And you know what? It's one of our most fruitful goals. It's also the hardest goal to update for good reasons. I can't tell you who the people are we're working with or the cities where they are at. I can tell you we're in the Far East, we're in North Africa, we're in the Middle East. For example, we're supporting the work in Pakistan where this man is from. We're supporting the work in Iran where these people are from. And as I said earlier, we are witnessing some amazing fruit from these movements we're supporting. And we shouldn't be surprised. I don't care how hostile the government is. There is no people group on earth where disciples cannot be made because Jesus said all authority over all the nations has been given to me. And so we're believing Jesus and we're going to places to make disciples that are not easy to go. So here's where we stand. We are currently involved in supporting four church planning movements among unreached people groups and are supporting four new Bible translation efforts. I can talk just a little more about that. Uh, We're partnering to put God's word in the hands of millions of people, like the Duke people in the Solomon Islands. We're supporting the work that are holding the Gospel of John for the very first time. We're working with the Bandalinda people in the Central African Republic. We're supporting a project in North Africa that's translating the Old Testament into uh, a certain form of Arabic, and 12 million people will have it for the first time. And then one more thing I want you to pray about. You recall we sent a young couple... Uh, earlier this past year to be Bible translators in North Africa, and I'm not going to tell you their names or where they are. But they're working with refugee peoples, and they're working with several different people groups, none of whom have Bibles in their language. And so on September 23rd, S and K are going to fast and pray 
about which people group they should choose to start a Bible translation work. You might want to join them on September 23rd to fast or at least to pray for them that God will lead them to a blessed decision. I want to remind you, when I was on my prayer walk a few years ago for this vision, the word God gave me wasn't nations and generations. The word God gave me was ask for nations and generations. Prayer must fuel the pursuit of this vision. So next Sunday, we're going to give you a 21-day prayer guide. So as a community, every day, we can join together and ask God for the nations and the generations. Now, let me tell you, every goal we have must be bathed in petitions to heaven because every goal we have will be assaulted by the gates of hell. The enemy does not want to see the nations know Christ. And the attack will start here. We can expect in the five years of this vision to be attacked by the enemy. To distract us from the pursuit of nations. Because here's what I've learned. Everyone likes the idea of diversity more than the experience. Nobody is against the idea of all the nations coming to Christ. Everybody wants to stay in their comfort zone. This is not new. Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching that first gospel sermon, repent and be baptized, you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. And this promise is for you and for all who are far off. He's talking about the other nations. He preached it, but he didn't practice it. He liked the idea more than the experience, so he gets to Acts 10. He's on a roof, he has a vision. He sees animals, God says, kill and eat. No, Lord, I won't kill and eat anything that's unclean. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. People show up, and he winds up at the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, a man from another nation. The Holy Spirit shows up, does a mighty work, and Peter has this stunning revelation. He says, I now realize, now I preached it before, but now I get it. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You see, Cornelius needed Peter. But Peter needed Cornelius to be reminded of what God has always wanted. God wants heaven to come to earth. God wants the nations, not just for salvation, but for reconciliation. We cannot preach a truncated, reduced gospel. But that's where churches tend to drift because the idea is always more comfortable than the experience. Look at Acts 11. So when Peter went up to the Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and baptized them. That's not what it says. That wasn't their problem. The problem has never been, can people in any part of the world become a Christian? The problem has always been, do we have to actually get together and act like we like different people? It has never been who gets to enter the baptistry. It has always been 
Who gets to sit around the table with me? Separate but equal has been the way too often churches have pursued God's vision. But it's never been what God wanted. And churches that choose that path lose all credibility to witness to the hugeness of the gospel. God lifted up his son so that the walls between his children would be torn down. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 3. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. By the way, Greek literally in his multicolored wisdom. In all its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is through the multicolored church that God is showing the world how wise he is and showing the unseen world how triumphant Jesus is. In fact, I think that is the beauty of the multi-ethnic church. It displays the wisdom of God And it declares the triumph of Christ. And you can know that because that's what the multi-ethnic church does, the multi-ethnic church will be attacked. The enemy will try to pervert and prevent our vision. But we don't intend to listen to a loser. So, I grew up in Dallas, an incredibly ethnically diverse city, but the only churches I knew anything about in my childhood were mono-ethnic. They were all white, they were all black, they were all brown. So I decided as a teenager to get with some friends and go and visit a church that was black, We didn't have smartphones. We had to look it up in the yellow pages and do our best. And, of course, we got lost. And we got there about 15 minutes late. We walked in and just sat on the back row. And it was a service much like the service I was used to. There was passionate singing. There was strong preaching. And then at the end of the service, a deacon on the front row got up to do the announcements. And he looked at the page the whole time. We want to remember Sister So-and-so who's in such such hospital room number. And we want to remember men, the men's breakfast this coming uh, Saturday. And remember the food drive. And for the first time he looked up, he said, And if we have any visitors today, and I can see that we do. <laughs> I thought, he's talking about me. And the people couldn't have been sweeter. But even as a 16-year-old boy, something felt wrong. That here I am growing up in one of the most ethnically diverse cities in our country. And across this city, you can tell if a person is a guest by their skin tone. That's not what God wants. Our vision is to give God the beautiful, colorful, joyful, fruitful family that he wants. 
So we ask. And here's the thing, church. We don't have to ask God, what do you want us to do? We ask God, will you give us the courage to do it? So let's do that right now. By your head, I'll finish the prayer. You start it. Just pick one of the seven goals. Just pick one of them, the one that kind of resonates with you the most. Pray for it. Ask for it. Ask God for the nations. So, God, we do ask for the nations. We do ask that we become a a kind of church that if someone far from you would come and be among us, they would think, it feels like heaven has showed up here. We do ask that our heart's desire will be to give you the family you've always wanted. A family where all your beautiful children can get together and enjoy each other. So we pray this in Jesus' name, by his power, and for his glory. Amen.